This is the waves. 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 Welcome to the waves. Slate's podcast about gender, feminism, and flawed but lovable heroes. Every episode, you get a new pair of women to talk about the thing we can't get off our minds. And today, you've got me, Allegra Frank. And me, Madeline Ducharme. And today, we're going to talk about TV. Of all the TV shows we expected to return this year, Netflix's Master of None was pretty low down on the list. Last month, the comedy's third season premiered more than four years after its second. And while season two was critically acclaimed, Master of None's hiatus and then quiet surprise return were met with very different levels of excitement and anticipation. The new season of this rom-com, which is now called Master of None Moments in Love, sort of like a mini-series, now stands as another example of a disgraced celebrity's steps toward a self-made redemption. So Madeline, let's talk. What got you interested in this subject this week, in the return of Master of None? I am most interested in this topic. The reason I can't stop thinking about it is that the two people that are behind this new iteration of the Netflix original, Aziz Ansari and Lena Waithe, uh, who play very different roles in this iteration than they did on the other version of Master of None, they've both had pretty fraught public accusations leveled against them in the past few years. And a lot of our listeners, maybe even myself, maybe even Allegra, might consider one or both of them to be like pretty problematic. But at the same time, the show sort of tells this intimate story of a black lesbian couple. And that's something we rarely see in a big Netflix series like this. So there are just lots of mixed feelings around here, especially for me as a queer person watching this show. Mixed feelings is the key phrase here. For those who don't know, Ansari was publicly accused of sexual misconduct in 2018. And Lena Waithe has been accused of not properly supporting women who have alleged harassment on sets of projects she's worked on. We're going to unpack all of that and talk about who we as viewers allow to be our flawed, selfish, but maybe still lovable heroes in a show as complicated as Master of None has become. But first, a break. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. We are back Picking up four years after its previous season, season two, Master of None Moments in Love is a complete reinvention of Aziz Ansari's original show. And now this time, instead of Ansari's 30-something antics as an inspiring actor in New York City, this new season details the deterioration of a marriage between Lena Waithe's character, Denise, who is one of Aziz Ansari's character's best friends, and her wife, Alicia, who is played by Naomi Aki. Why are you talking to me like this? Like we're on the people's court or something. 
I just came here to get the papers signed. So we really getting divorced? Because we cheat on each other? It just doesn't make sense to me. I mean, Jesse Jackson, Mr. Keep Hope Alive himself. Stop. <laughs> has a whole ass kid. You know what? I just came to pick up my shit and get the fuck out of here to sign the fucking papers. You know what this is? You know what this is? This is marriage. So while the first two seasons of the show were kind of grounded and frank about a lot of issues in young people's lives, including religion, aging, and especially racism, Master of None was still very much a comedy. But now with Waith as the core protagonist, Moments in Love sort of shifts away from the humor and instead devotes much of its time on heavy topics, particularly infidelity and miscarriage. So Madeline, I know you, as you said, have a lot of mixed thoughts on this season and just a lot to say in general about how it tackles these themes in particular, both in contrast to the original run of Master of None, but also just as a contained miniseries in itself. So talk to me a little bit about your takeaways from Master of None moments in love, and especially who we are dealing with at the center here, Lena Waithe. So this first part of our conversation will pretty much just be in a aesthetic conversation, a cinematic <laughs> conversation. Our I guess. film critic hats are on, baby. Right. Which is almost impossible to do when the first names that you confront right after an episode are like directed by Aziz Ansari, co-written by Aziz Ansari and Lena Waithe. But set that aside for a moment. I was pretty much immediately filled with dread at the <laughs> at the, the announcement that this show was coming back mostly because I was you know just like it's been a long time I don't know where we're headed where we're going here but after sort of watching the trailer and seeing like oh I really like Naomi Aki she shows up in the bisexual which is a really great series from channel four and it was like so exciting to see her in a in this this kind of star turn where she got to play a very serious and just complicated character in a complicated and and intense relationship and i liked that we were kind of shifting perspective and so i got a little like cautiously optimistic about the show in general but at the same time kind of as soon as you jump into it you're sort of thrust into the like just the darkest and saddest moments of a marriage that is still a marriage um, kind of right before it will no longer be. And I don't really mind the topic itself, but it's hard to even start to feel for these characters when you know so little about them. Naomi Aki, for example, is not in seasons one and two of the show at all. And Lena Waithe's character feels maybe generously she's a new iteration of Denise, maybe ungenerously, she feels like an entirely different character. <laughs> right. It absolutely has a strangely and starkly different tone. I think it's, I agree, it's fair to say that Denise is a bit of a different character here, especially in that, I mean, just positionally, right? She is now the protagonist. We've never seen her in this kind of role, except for the episode that she actually, Lena Waithe won an Emmy for, which was called Thanksgiving in season two. And that episode actually won a lot of acclaim because it did give the spotlight to Denise in this really kind of 
beautiful half hour about a young black woman who is contending with coming out to her family, her quite religious family. Right. And so this is, you know, the aftermath of that. She's clearly an out woman, but the tenderness that we got to see there and the sympathy that she engendered in us, that pretty much has vanished here because as you said, it is the sort of the breakup story in I want to say in slow motion, because this is a very, very plottingly slow show. It's only like three hours, really. It's like five half hour episodes. The first episode's an hour, but things move so slowly that to kind of watch them break apart, it feels almost extra wrenching, except for the fact that, as you said, we don't really know who these people are. We're dropped in the middle of things. Right. I don't even think it feels more wrenching to watch it i was mostly just <laughs> bored like i oh <laughs> this is uh, i can only watch them dance and be cute while unloading the laundry for like 25 seconds why was that like two minutes long i <laughs> i understand that that is supposed to maybe bring up some of the the softness and and like tender feelings i felt towards denise when we were watching the, the thanksgiving episode which is just so good but I, I kind of am just like, who are these people? I, I don't know them anymore. So why am I spending so much time, so much time watching them do their cute domestic thing when I don't even really know how they met. I don't really know what they like about each other. Right. <laughs> All sorts of things like that. And I'm curious what you thought of the series as a whole and then also like what episodes, you know, spark something for you. Yeah, I mean, I definitely thought that this five episode arc was an interest. I'll give it I'll give it some credit in that it was an interesting experiment in just really dropping us into a crumbling relationship and weird moments of the aftermath. I mean, it is called moments in love, which I do think is a bit of a misnomer in that the love is very tried and perhaps broken yeah it's like the Uh, same thing as marriage story where i'm like come on (laughs) it's like it is a story about a marriage except the marriage is no longer a marriage they're trying to get out of it yeah it is very much moments in a disintegrating love um and i think something that i will i'll i will praise here even though as you said it is uncomfortable that you know every episode is saddled with directed by aziz ansari and that is really hard to ignore, considering the uh, Aziz Ansari of it all is a a big negative for Master of None these days, which we'll get into later. But seeing a Black queer relationship at the fore is something really unique, and it's something that Master of None is able to present to us without it feeling, you know, forced or out of nowhere, in the sense that one of the few things we really know about Denise at this stage is that she is a Black queer woman. She came out in her very pivotal episode in season two. And so we're carrying that forward here with two Black women. One is, you know, a femme beautiful Brit, and the other being, you know, the more gruff Denise, who's a little little colder, more self-involved. And something that's really beautiful and really specific to this kind of storyline is the idea of them trying to have a baby, right? Because they're looking for a sperm donor, and they have to go through the process of 
finding one, of going and being inseminated, all the nitty gritty biological stuff of, you know, donors. And there's one beautiful episode that is solely focused on Naomi Aki's character, Alicia, that follows her as a now single lesbian black woman. And I know you like this episode too, Madeline. This was definitely the strongest episode of the five. Yeah, I I think that there's something like very, very striking about that scene where her fertility doctor tells her like, we need to prove to the insurance company that you are infertile and that you've been trying to get pregnant for a year. And she's like, well, what does that, how does that work for me? I haven't been trying, quote unquote, for a year. And the doctor's so frank. She says like, there's no code for gay and desires pregnancy. And like that single interaction in that scene made me feel more than any sort of <laughs> interaction between Lena Waithe's character and Naomi Aki, which is sort of the central relationship that we're supposed to care about. I will say too that there's a really, really remarkable depiction of her character, Naomi Aki's character, Alicia, developing this like friendship and com- this this like very, very intimate relationship she has with her nurse who works with her on these multiple like kind of exhausting fertility treatments what did you think of of that i honestly felt like that's a queerer relationship (laughs) than the marriage at the center of this which that was honestly that was when i felt the love this you know relationship that alicia builds with her ivf nurse who is such a wonderful character who like calls her on the phone i agree that is that is the truly heartbreaking and then heartwarming relationship of the series, both Alicia finding a comforting, stable presence in this nurse, and then also eventually getting the baby of her dreams when the the process finally takes. So even though there is some feeling of letdown in the relationship of these two Black queer women being presented because it's like already fraught from the get-go, at least we are seeing this really interesting and under under portrayed aspect of being a black lesbian, being a black queer woman specifically in this this country, you know, the difficulties yeah. of trying to actually get a baby when you don't have a, a man around to right. do it for your for free. Every scene between Alicia, played by Naomi Aki, and Cordelia Blair, who plays a nurse that actually shares her first name, which makes all of this so much more special. Every time I saw that, I just I felt such care and such intimate tenderness. And I was like, that is the moment in love. (laughs) Basically, nothing else compared to those those moments in love, which also made the ending sort of unsatisfying. We are going to take a break here, but if you like what you're hearing and want to hear more from Madeline and myself on another topic, check out our Slate Plus segment, Gateway Feminism, where today Madeline and I talk about one thing that helped make us feminists. I'll be talking about the Powerpuff Girls. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Now we're going to shift focus from the screen of Master of None to the world of its creators off screen, Aziz Ansari and Lena Waithe. So for those unfamiliar with the way that these two have stirred up kind of a lot of controversy in the past few years, we're going to break it down for you real quick. So Madeline, tell us what happened with Aziz Ansari. So in early 2018, uh, at one of the most charged moments of the Me Too movement, a pretty messily reported article was published on this weird semi-feminist website called babe.net. No one had really heard of it before. And that report detailed this really unpleasant encounter between a 22-year-old woman and Aziz Ansari. In it, she kind of alleges that he was forceful, callous, misread all of her body language, kind of continued to pursue certain sex acts even after she indicated verbally and also non-verbally that she wasn't into it. And because those allegations sort of paled in comparison to Weinstein and Lauer, Ansari got himself a lot of public defenders. But he also retreated from public life after saying that, you know, he was taking her words to heart and that he had thought the encounter was entirely consensual. He came back two years later with a Netflix comedy special, and it opened with a recounting of this whole saga. He says that he felt terrible that she felt that way, but he stopped short of apologizing. And I always think about a conversation I had with one of my friends where he was like, you know what, man, that whole thing made me think about every date I've ever been on. And I thought, wow, well, that's pretty incredible. This made not just me, but other people be more thoughtful, then that's a good thing. And that's how I feel about it. And I know this isn't the most hilarious way to begin a comedy show. (laughs) But it's important to me that you know how I feel about that whole thing before we share this night together. So that's the Aziz story. Meanwhile, with Lena, so she's garnered infamy less because of her personal life in the same way that Aziz has, and more because of her work itself. So ever since Master of None Season 2, she's found a lot of success with other shows. She created The Shy, which is a Showtime drama that draws inspiration from her life growing up in the south side of Chicago. She executive produced the Amazon series Them, And she also had her feature film script debut, which was Queen and Slim. And all three films are united in that they feature sort of needlessly cruel black violence on screen, 
or in some cases off. But Lena Waithe herself has received backlash and criticism, particularly from black critics and audiences, for the way that her work outside of Master of None has featured its black heroes being martyrs for the cause of either Black Lives Matter or just for the purpose of provocation for entertainment. It's become sort of a a weird calling card for Alina Waith with some people online thinking that, you know, oh, Alina Waith's involved, then it's going to involve beautiful Black people being attacked or killed, which is not the best reputation for someone to develop. And especially based off, you know, how they started, which was as a sympathetic comic character on a Netflix show. And as the creator of The Shy, she also experienced some offset drama when the lead actor of the show was accused of misconduct involving both his co-star and then later on a female showrunner. And Lena Waithe reportedly didn't handle those situations very well and kind of shirked responsibility, which isn't great, especially when it's someone who purports herself to be an ally for Black audiences, and especially Black queer audiences. So both of these people, obviously, pretty different situations. But when Aziz and Lena are uniting again to star and co-create a show after this, all of this happens, and all of this is reported, you can't blame people for kind of balking at it, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm kind of shocked because it's just not even... It hasn't even been that long. These people have sort of been semi-present in some of the the discourses we've been having for the last couple of years about all sorts of things on sets, on camera. We've been talking about this for a bit, and so it feels a little audacious to come back with something that's supposed to be so intimate and so different than what they were doing before. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's like going back to the idea of these being these flawed yet lovable heroes. Like the idea that we're being asked to find anything lovable in Aziz Ansari or Lena Waithe's characters on screen right now is really difficult, I think, for a lot of viewers who are in the know. I mean, even just Lena Waithe's allegations and backlash are a little more niche, and Aziz Ansari's were quite well publicized. So even just his connection alone could make it a little bit hard to get yourself invested. But at the same time, like, obviously, Netflix has welcomed them back. So it kind of brings up the question of, like, who has their careers dramatically altered by accusations and who doesn't, right? Because we have people like Aziz and, in this case, Lena, right, who are sort of welcomed back by a huge media company, despite being sort of condemned in the public imagination and seen as no longer welcome. I think one of the things that I keep coming back to, too, is that I don't actually really want Aziz Ansari to go away forever. I don't think that is a solution to right the wrongs that he's accused of. I just think that it wouldn't have been too hard to publicly reckon with the fact that he, you know, had hurt someone and that even if he wasn't really consciously doing it, it still happened. And I think one of the ugliest things that actually came out of the Aziz Ansari 
moment, babe.net moment, was the number of people who sort of mentioned like, well, if this is inappropriate and this is wrong, then every date I've ever been on with a woman <laughs> has been wrong. And I'm like, oh my God, what are you admitting to? Um, and I think if you're the guy who writes a book about the nuances of dating, which he literally did, the nuances of love and dating, the least you can do is say, clearly I thought I better understood myself in some of these situations than I actually do. And I'm going to spend some time looking inward. And I also would like to apologize for my behavior. I I don't know. It's just, it's really hard to sit with this romantic, complicated story about two black lesbians and know that he's sort of omnipresent in in the show. And absolutely. Why and is he telling this story too? Right. Like in some sense, I am grateful that someone is telling this story, but the fact that it's this guy. And I mean, I do agree. Like he is this normal and they make fun of him for this in the show too. He's not like particularly attractive. And in the show, his character is like not amazingly successful right so there's like he's not the typical beautiful romantic lead in any sense and it's especially interesting to see that when he's a south asian american who gets to be the romantic lead but then with lena waith when we take her involvement like yes it's great to have black queer female representation but she also is not without her problems like this is something that a lot of people take issue with is that we want to have a black lesbian at the fore with creative control, but do we want this one? Like she, (laughs) like she obviously comes from a marginalized community. She's one of the few, you know, black lesbians who is working in the comedy, like the critically acclaimed comedy field and starring in a show like this. It's a rare thing. So like, we want people like that and we like Naomi Aki. So at least we have her, but Lena Waith it's frustrating that she is the representative we have to deal with. So her career clearly has not been too dramatically altered despite losing a lot of the uh, good, the goodwill she originally had built up. Right. And Aziz Ansari clearly is still, you know, he still gets the Netflix show and he even gets to appear in it a little bit. So I I do agree, you know, we don't want to, we don't want to totally lose people like Aziz, but what about people that aren't welcome back into Hollywood because someone like Lena, you know, I'm a little, I'm thankful, but also a little surprised she hasn't been blacklisted. It's already so hard for a marginalized person to gain ground. So I'm thinking about other people whose careers have sort of been ruined in Hollywood. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, I followed some of the news developments around the 2016 movie, Birth of a Nation, um, which was directed by and starring Nate Parker. And that was such a buzzy film that got pretty much re- immediately derailed by a past accusation of rape against Nate Parker. And I feel like we didn't hear from him for years after, only right. for him to return sort of quietly in this last year. But again, even that film wasn't particularly buzzy. And I feel like it he's not back in the good graces of a lot of people. And I know a lot of people found that distressing and upsetting at the time for all sorts of different reasons. And I think that like 
sometimes we, I don't know, maybe this is the, the result of like a deeply democratized like social media arena in which all of these things can be shared and discussed and passed around communities and passed around audiences who these cultural products are made for. And when you're interested in writing about culture and you're a critic, you're steeped in that stuff that executives and producers are probably just not steeped in. And I I just wonder what our Twitter, you know, banging and our conversations on social media can even do about some of these things. And yeah, I don't know, like, what, what is our next step with talking about and engaging with content from somebody like Lena Waithe or somebody like Aziz Ansari? Yeah, because ultimately, I'm like, literally going to quote Hamilton, I always think of follow the money and see where it goes. Like, it's (laughs) literally just all about the money. But like, these are still people who are they do have some semblance of power in this industry, despite being in Lena and Aziz's case, people of color, a, a woman, a queer person. And that is something to respect. But at the same time, they owe it to us as audiences to do better, especially after these faults have been publicized. And yet, we are sort of rewarding them now they have been able to maintain the power they have as creators in this industry. We're rewarding them with another season of their show, despite them not really showing up and taking, you know, full responsibility for what they did. What, as he said, you know, the non-apology apology that he gave from earlier was not great. Like, it doesn't show that he is actually, if not learned, then reckoned with why people were so mad at him and why people are so uncomfortable with him. So the other thing, though, as we both said, is like, we like the first season of Master of None, the first two seasons, right? And there is stuff to like here. We like Naomi Aki a lot in that one episode. So we are getting some benefit here. But at the same time, do we want these creators to be allowed to continue to offer us this kind of entertainment? Or should we instead, you know, sideline them in favor of people who don't have messy backstories? Right. And I think probably the biggest issue here is maybe, this sounds so rude, maybe it's less the the quality of whatever Aziz and Lena make, and just the fact that the quantity of stuff made by people like them, queer people, people of color, is so small that we have to pull at our collar and and sweat a little while we talk about it for fear that coming after them and and saying how much we dislike a show or saying how much we dislike them might threaten the opportunity of other people like them in the future. Like, I wish there was a world in which something could just be bad and it doesn't have to be bad on behalf of all black lesbians or bad on behalf of South Asian romantic leads someone or some or some show could just you know exist as a sort of less than satisfying cultural product and we don't have to have some sort of reckoning about like but that means no one will ever let another person do that thing yeah it bums me out and it bums me out that they kind of feel like they're the only ones getting to do something as big as this and we have all these fraught feelings about the people who do this Kind of feels like Netflix is like, shut up and eat your food. Be happy we even let this happen. Right. But it's like, can our food be good? 
please. Can we have good food that doesn't make me feel sick afterward? And can it come from people who made it that are like kind to their colleagues yes. and are conscious of their power? <laughs> Ethically sourced food, farm to table, please. <laughs> Free range only. <laughs> Free range only. Right. Yeah, we have no, it's hard to have a real answer to these questions of how do we handle creators like this? Um, because there isn't a real answer. And it's still so fresh, this whole, you know, post Me Too movement that we're still figuring out what to do um, moving forward right. with creators and those in power. So Malin, thank you for racking your brain with me on how to handle Lena and Aziz and Master of None in this weird, weird time. And thank you for making all of watching some of those slow, slow scenes totally worth it. (laughs) Wow, you're welcome. Okay, before we head out, let's introduce some levity here. Gonna make that hard pivot from difficult content to content we like. So we were talking about bad food that's gross, Madeline, what's some good content food that's great that you are loving right now? Give us a wreck. So I am totally loving Kristen Arnett's new book. It's called With Teeth. It's a novel. It's a very Floridian novel, which is not something that I I would usually uh, reach for on my shelf. (laughs) But it is also lesbian. And uh, I subscribe to a school of thought from my colleague, Christina Cotarucci, which is that all queer content gets graded on a very generous curve. Um, (laughs) But you don't even need that curve for this book. It's really, really excellent. And if you're kind of loving a complicated and fraught lesbian couple after watching Moments in Love, but you want a little more action, this book is great. It's about two women. They are trying to raise a son together while, you know, living in this Florida heat of Tampa and the the heat and tension of their resentment of one another. Um, (laughs) It's very excellent. I'm a huge fan of Kristen Arnett. Her first book, Mostly Dead Things, was a a big success. And I feel like With Teeth will have a a similar following. It just came out on June 1st. And you should also follow her Twitter. I got to recommend that too, because she's hilarious. Awesome. You know, I'm also not someone who generally... Uh, subscribes to the Floridian genre of novel, but <laughs> I'm curious now. That's uh, great. Yeah. Okay, cool. So that book is out now. It is out now. And so what are you leaving us with, Allegra? Like what delicious thing should I be consuming after I finish recording with you? Okay, I'm gonna recommend an actual food. So this is awesome. something you can actually consume. Head out to the grocery store after this, y'all. I am a big fan of limited edition s'mores flavored oreos i am a huge oreo connoisseur i have been eating oreos my whole life and every time they put out a new flavor of oreo i am i follow instagram accounts that tell me when they're gonna come out and where you can (laughs) buy them so i am ready to go I have been anticipating these s'mores oreos madeline literally since january and they just came out In May, this is actually the second time that they've had them available. The first time was several years ago. So this is very exciting for people like me. They have like a graham cracker flavored cookie and, you know, the usual vanilla cream and some chocolate cream in there. The vanilla cream is actually supposed to be marshmallowy flavored. Right. Honestly, your mileage may vary on if this tastes anything (laughs) like a s'more. Sure. 
and it's not as good as a real s'more, but it is a very good Oreo. And I definitely ate most of a whole package yesterday. That sounds like an amazing way to have spent your holiday weekend. It was amazing. I felt very ill afterwards. Did not feel good. So don't do that. (laughs) Go buy a pack and eat one Oreo and taste it. And you will want to eat the rest of the package, but don't do that. And maybe you'll even eat them while you read this, this novel recommendation I gave you. One hand holding the book, other hand holding the Oreo. If you got milk, the milk is there. You're dipping. It's perfect for the summer perfect summer situation. That's our show this week. The Waves is produced by Shana Roth. Susan Matthews is our editorial director with June Thomas providing oversight and moral support. And we have additional production help from Rosemary Belson. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. If you're happy about the return of the waves like we are, please consider supporting the show by joining Slate Plus. Members get benefits like zero ads on any Slate podcast and bonus episodes of shows like Slow Burn. It's only $1 for the first month. To learn more, go to slate.com slash thewavesplus and be sure to email us at thewaves at slate.com. And The Waves will be back next week. Different hosts, different topic, same time and place. Hi, this is Dahlia Lithwick, host of Slate's legal podcast, Amicus. If you're listening to this show, you might be interested in Amicus's live show that we're hosting in Washington, D.C. on Tuesday, May the 14th. My colleague, Mark Joseph Stern, and I will be talking to some amazing guests, including Sherilyn Eiffel and a sitting state Supreme Court justice, all about how originalism, a relatively recently invented way of interpreting the Constitution, has taken over the Supreme Court and radically reshaped the law. It's been doctrinal rocket fuel for the conservative legal movement and facilitated the rolling back of abortion rights, the expansion of gun rights, and the obliteration of the separation of church and state. And as another wildly consequential Supreme Court term careers to its end, the court's originalists are on a tear. But there's something you can do about it, and we hope you'll join us in D.C. on May 14th to explore the possible pathways out of the current situation. Go to slate.com slash amicus live for tickets.